So we are in spiritual life week two. And so we established last week that in Ephesians 5.18 where it says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled in Ephesians 5.18 means the Spirit-controlled life. And the Apostle Paul was contrasting between being drunk, and when you're drunk, you are not in control. And so he's saying, don't be out of control, obviously with alcohol, or with anything. You know, the enemy wants to use anything in your life to get you to be under the control of something else more than the control of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of his word. And so we established last week that the spirit-filled life is really better termed the the spirit-controlled life. To be filled with the spirit means that you follow the Holy Spirit as he reveals his truth through, through, through the word of God, and you follow those promptings and that leading versus the leading of your flesh. And you know, your flesh, which is the unredeemed part of our body, the, un- the, un- the, un- the unredeemed part of our life, and it will not be redeemed until we go to heaven and, and this mortal body will be stripped away and we will, we will receive an immortal body, but we have a redeemed spirit. Our spirit man has been redeemed and we've been made alive in Christ. But this flesh, this mind, our emotions and our will is under subjection to sin. And so the spirit-filled life is a life of saying no to the flesh and saying yes to the spirit of God. Saying yes to God. Saying yes to his word. So that's what we looked at last week. And so as we continue on in Ephesians 4, we're going to cover 17 through, through 24 this morning. How many of you realize, and know that all of you do, that we live in a culture that increasingly makes it difficult to live a spirit-controlled life? It's hard if you are in living in this culture. And I, I believe that if Kareem would be able to share, he would say that it's not just American culture. It's the culture all over the world that it is difficult to live in any culture that doesn't have Jesus as Lord over their life, over the, over the society, it is difficult to live a spirit-controlled, spirit-filled life because we are constantly bombarded with messages that are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible. And so to live that spirit-filled life, it is a battle. It is a fight of continually daily. And that's what we learned last week in Ephesians 5, 18, that what Paul is saying there is that the spirit-filled life is summed up in this. It's, it's, the, it's be, being continually filled every day. But it's hard. I was listening to this message by John MacArthur on the flight uh, into Minnesota. And he was talking about music. And he made this statement that I think is so profound. He said this, the, the corruption of a culture is on display in its music. Think about that for a second. When he said it, I paused it, I grabbed my phone, and I thought I was going to text Matt Carnes, but I was 30,000 feet in the air, and I couldn't do it. Uh, when I landed, I texted to him. I said, isn't that powerful? The corruption of a culture is on display in its music. And I don't want to tell you lyrics of songs that are out there right now, but if you think about the music... Maybe you think about the music you used to listen to when you weren't a believer in Jesus Christ. And the corruption of a culture is on display in its music. And just the perversion of the lifestyle of the musicians and the songs that they sing. And so we live in a corrupted culture that is under the sway of sin. And so to live the spirit-filled life, it takes, going, it takes us going upstream. Listen to me. The moment you surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ is the moment you signed up for a battle. 
You signed up for a battle. Maybe you're a new Christian here this morning and you say, well, I didn't want to sign up for a battle. I wanted to sign up for the easy life. I wanted to sign up for for a life of ease and and pleasure and and forgiveness of sin. And obviously that's what you get when you surrender to Christ, as we have been singing and talking about before during the worship time. But the battle you signed up for is a battle against your flesh that had been trained by your sinful nature. But now that your sinful nature is dead and now you have a new nature in Christ, your flesh wants to wants to do what it used to do. So you have to learn to train your flesh. So that's one area of the battle. That's called sanctification. It's the battle of saying no and saying yes. But it's also, it's a battle against the enemy of your soul. That as believers, the enemy of your soul, Satan, he wants to keep non-believers in their unbelief. And he wants to keep believers ineffective by keeping them tangled in sin. By keeping them tangled in unrighteousness. You know, as a believer, you can be tangled in unrighteousness. You can be tangled in sin. The enemy wants to keep you tangled in sin to where you will have no footing to stand on and no courage and boldness to stand in the peace of God to declare the gospel of God. So when you became a Christian, you signed up for a battle. And so as Paul is addressing the Ephesians here in 417, you know, the the unbelievers in Ephesus, this is from Holman New Testament commentary. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says here. The unbelievers in Ephesus were particularly sinful. Ephesus was a leading city of commerce and culture in the Roman Empire. The home of the pagan temple of Diana, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Worship of Diana involved the worst immorality of degraded pagan religion. That influence made Ephesus a wretched hive of scum and villainy. What a description. (laughs) Dominic loved that one. A wretched hive of scum and villainy. A wicked place indeed. Temple prostitution, crime, immorality, idolatry, and every conceivable form of sin abounded. Many of the Christians in Ephesus came out of that kind of background. In contrast with that evil background, Paul makes his appeal. Don't live that way any longer. And that's where we start. Let's go to the text. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You see what he's saying there? Saying to the Christians in Ephesus and saying to us today, the Gentiles is another way to describe non-believers. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the unbelievers, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is the text we're going to look at. And did you guys see this contrast here? The Apostle Paul is saying, don't be like you used to. The Gentiles were like this. And he categorized them in two primary ways. They had futile thinking and their hearts were darkened. Futile thinking and darkened hearts. And he says, you used to be that way and don't walk like that any longer. You're called to live a life of saying no, putting off, and saying yes, Putting on. 
That's the heart of this section. That's the heart of spirit-filled living. So let's look at this. I, what, what we're going to do in this section is we're going we're, we're, we're to see in this section, we're going to look at the, 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 the battle, this battle to live a spirit-filled life. And the first thing we see is that our, our walk used to be or was marked by futile thinking. Our walk, if you're a believer here in Jesus Christ, your walk used to be marked by futile thinking. That's Ephesians 4.17. Let's look at that again. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. That word walk, when you translate it out in the original language, it's, it's meant to describe the pattern of your life. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer let the pattern of your life be as the Gentiles, as a non-believer. But rather, you should walk rightly and obey the spirit of the Lord. But he says that that pattern was based upon the futility of their minds. The futility of their minds. And so that's how we used to be. We were marked. Before Christ, our life was marked by futile thinking. And futile thinking, it can be described as useless, empty, and fruitless. Useless, empty, and fruitless. The pattern of our lives apart from Christ was marked by useless, empty, and fruitless thinking. Futile thinking is thinking that is unproductive. Anybody ever had unproductive thinking in your life? Right? Futile thinking is base thinking. It's base level thinking. Thinking that does not produce answers to the big questions of life. As non-believers, you don't, you're not armed with the truth and the understanding and the revelation to answer the big questions of life. Philosopher Henry David Thoreau sums up the human condition like this. He says, we have improved means to unimproved ends. Did you guys follow that? We have improved means and methods, ways that ultimately end in unimproved ends. Basically, he's saying we come up with new ways to be unproductive in understanding ultimate reality. I want to say that again. I want you to hear that. We come up with, as humans, new ways to be unproductive in understanding ultimate reality. Does that sound familiar to you? That's our culture. They come up with new ways to be unproductive in answering the big questions of life. And we see that in Romans 1. The Bible talks about men and women like that. Let's read this section. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Futile thinking, they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How has God shown himself to them, shown truth to them? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been, say it with me, clearly perceived. And how has God made himself clearly perceived? Since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So that they are without excuse. For although they knew God. They did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. But listen. But they became what? Futile. In their thinking. Apostle Paul's telling the Christians in Ephesus. Don't be like the Gentiles. Who have futile thinking. And and these men and women. As described in Romans chapter 1. That's the unbeliever. 
They reject God. They reject the truth of creation. They reject ultimate truth. And, and because of that, they can be categorized as men and women who have futile thinking. They have no way to answer the ultimate questions of life. They become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. So many people claim to be wise. I, I am enlightened and I know truth and I, and I, and I know about the big questions and they, I know about the big questions of life and I have all the answers, but they do it outside of ultimate truth as revealed in Jesus Christ. Claiming to be wise, they ultimately become fools and they exchange. And what's the, what's the, what's the, the fruit of becoming a fool who rejects God? They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They don't worship God, but they worship what? Created things. They worship animals. They worship humans. They worship created things. When mankind rejects the obvious reality of God as creator, it becomes a downward spiral towards futile thinking. Detached from the anchoring reality of God's place as creator, mankind struggles, struggles to find meaning and purpose. Futile thinking cannot answer the big questions. And what are the big questions? How, how did I get here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why do we exist? What is my purpose in life? And what will happen when I die? What is right and what is wrong? What is the standard for morality? And apart from a proper understanding of God as creator... You, you don't even have the basis of beginning to understand the ultimate questions of life. And so you're left with your futile thinking. And ultimately, people who think in futile ways end up worshiping things that are false. Futile thinking leads to false worship. We worship created, created things instead of God. And brothers and sisters, we used to be that way. And the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, the Christians there, he says, that's how the Gentiles are marked. Their walk of life is marked by futile thinking. And so they worship sex. They worship, they worship money. They worship alcohol. They worship all of these false gods. And I'm telling you that you are not called to walk like them. You're not called to walk in futile thinking. You're called to walk in godly understanding of ultimate truth, which leads to correct worship apart from truth, our walk was, was, was marked by futile thinking. And as a result of that, we worship temporary things. Was, was, was that your life before Christ? Absolutely. It was all of our lives before Christ. We worshiped temporary things. And some of you say, well, I, you know, I wouldn't make a God out of a temporary thing. But we all do it. Make a God out of temporary things. And so this is not the mark of a spirit-filled life. The mark of a spiritual life is that we understand ultimate truth. And we can answer the big questions of life. Where do we come from? Every life is precious. When we prayed for Amelia this morning, that's the power of understanding God as creator. Is that every life is precious. Amelia is precious. Every baby is precious. And, and so because God is our, our creator, because God created you, there is no accident here this morning. You're not here by an accident. I don't know how we're going to get out by 12 o'clock. God, help us all this morning. I'm feeling the preach this morning. You guys going to hang in with me? I got three other points. I, I, forgive me, but we're gonna, just going to do it. Somebody told me I had 15 minutes before I, I got up here. I'm like, 15 minutes? God bless. I, I, I can't do my introduction in 15 minutes. There's no accident here this morning.
That's why we fight for human life. That's why we fight for human life. Listen, listen, you're clapping right now, but I'm going to stretch you here. That's why the refugee is precious and valuable. That's why they're valuable and precious. You got all kinds of political things associated with that. But, but, but when you understand God is creator, God is the creator of the refugee and the alien and the foreigner. That's the gospel. It starts with God as creator. Amen? And when you separate yourself from that ultimate truth, everything else is futile. And you have no basis to genuinely and truly worship God as creator. Secondly, moving on. What do we see here? Before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, our walk was marked by futile thinking. And secondly, our understanding was darkened and our heart was hardened. Our understanding was darkened and our heart was hardened. Ephesians 4.18, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Before Christ, all of our understanding was darkened. We were futile in our thinking, which led to darkened understanding. We can't see the ultimate things clearly. And then as a result of a darkened understanding, your heart becomes hardened and callous because of sin. Your heart becomes hardened and callous because of sin. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians says this in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we, have re- but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Listen to this. And even if our gospel is veiled, listen to what Paul is saying there. He's saying that the gospel is veiled for some people. They can't see it clearly. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, lowercase g, of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You guys follow this? So here's the situation. If you are an unbeliever, which we all were at one point, our, our thinking was futile, which led to a, a darkened understanding. We couldn't understand properly, which led to a, a hardness of heart because of sin. So there, there is a inward. It's, it says there in Ephesians that that was in us. That darkness was in us. And so that's called depravity. And so we are by nature children of wrath. So there's a spiritual blindness that is built into every human being that is born because of original sin. But did you see what he said there in 2 Corinthians 4? There's another layer of darkness. It says that the God of this world, Satan, blinds the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, listen, it's a double blindness. You're blinded inwardly and you're blinded externally as an unbeliever. Inwardly, your heart is hardened and callous. And outwardly, the Satan, Satan uses the culture, the allure of sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil to blind your eyes. It's a double blindness. We're under the power of a double blindness. We were darkened by our sinful nature, and we were also blinded by the God of this present age, Satan. Futile, foolish thinking leads people to embrace all forms of ungodliness. And continued rebellion against God and his ways 
will harden the heart of man. Futile thinking leads you to embrace all forms of ungodliness. And a, and a continued rejection of God and his ways and a walking in sin will eventually harden your heart. That's what we see in Ephesians four eighteen through 19. And listen to this in Hebrews 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion Speaking of the nation of Israel in the wilderness, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Listen, man, that is so good. Listen to that. 40 years of seeing the work of God in the wilderness provision, their shoes grew with their feet. A pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, Birds falling from the air, the splitting of the Red Sea, miracle after miracle, provision after provision, and yet the nation of Israel continued a legacy of, of serving God and rebelling against God, serving God, their heart being hard, hardened and influenced by ungodless countries and religions and rebelling and then hardening and then God having to rescue and save. So he's saying, don't be like that. And your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. It says, 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 if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Today. So maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe that's you, maybe here this morning, and you recognize for the first time, I recognize, I have been thinking in futile ways, and I don't have the questions to the big, I don't have the answers to the big questions of life. And I've been chasing temporary things, pursuing pleasures that don't fulfill, and I found myself empty and full of shame and guilt. And maybe you're, you're feeling callous towards the things of God, and I want to tell you what Scripture says is true. Today, if you hear His voice, don't in your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. Surrender. And you know what the, the Lord will do? He'll take out that heart of stone, that callous heart. And he will say, as, as the prophet Jeremiah said, he will take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. It's called the new birth. Amen? So we were marked, our pattern of life was marked by futile thinking. And then our hearts were, were, were darkened and our, our, our mind, our understanding was darkened and our hearts were hardened. You guys ready for the good news? I want to make a long pause there to make it awkward. Right, because cause it really is that long pause, right? It's like, what's next? Futile thinking, hard heart. Can't understand things properly. Following after temporary pleasures. Where's the hope? The good news is, number three, in Christ, we have been made new. This is who we were, but in Christ, we've been made new. Let's look at the text, Ephesians 4, 20 through 21. But he says, listen, don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't, they, don't walk in the, like them in the futility of their mind. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Listen to this. As the truth is where? Where's the truth found? It's in Jesus. It starts with the ultimate reality of God as creator. And it culminates. The culmination of scripture is Jesus, God in the flesh. You start within the beginning was God. And God created the heavens and the earth. And then you see in the gospel of Matthew, 
the incarnation. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the truth is found in Jesus. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. That in Jesus is the way that we find truth. And there's a way that we find redemption. The way that we find forgiveness. is a way that, that we are enlightened to understand God correctly. It's that, that enlightenment comes through Christ. Through faith in his finished work. You guys remember the story in the Gospel of John of the Samaritan woman? It's one of my favorite stories. I love that account of Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And, and just a little context, I want to read a little bit of that section there. And so when you think about Jesus, a Jewish man living in a, a, a Jewish culture, Middle Eastern culture, it was shameful for Jewish men to speak to women in public. It was shameful. It was, it, was, it was like showing a sign of submission to the woman whenever the woman needed to be submitted to the man and his authority. And so it would have been shameful for a Jewish man to speak to a woman in public. And then you couple that with the reality that this was a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans, their history was a history of, of, of Jews that separated from the nation of Israel and went and intermarried with pagan nations. And the result of that was what the Jews considered, true Jews considered a mixed breed. And so they were less than, they were looked down upon from the, by, by the Jews. So Jesus says there in John 4, he needed to go through Samaria. Because he had a divine appointment to meet with a Samaritan woman. And I love it. And so the conversation begins and Jesus says, hey, I'm thirsty. Can you give me a drink of water? And the woman says, well, um, how, are, how is it that you, a Jew, is asking a, me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? And Jesus looks at her and says, well, let me ask you, let me tell you something. If you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would turn and ask me for a drink. Because if I would give you a drink of water, it would be a drink of water that would quench your thirst forever and you would never be thirsty again. And the Samaritan woman said, give me this water. I want it now. And so then, what did Jesus say after that? He said, go call your husband. And she says, well, well you know, so she began to try to say something. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you the reality. I know who you really are. You, you, you're, you're, you've been with five men. You've had five husbands. And the one you're living with right now is not even your husband. And so then the woman says this, John four nineteen. The woman said to him, sir... I perceive you're a prophet. Basically, because you shouldn't know this. How do you know this? And listen to what she does here. Our father, so then she gets religious with Jesus. You remember back what we read there in Ephesians 4? The truth is in who? It's in Jesus. And that's what Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman. If you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would look to me. She didn't know yet. So she gets religious with him. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you, speaking of the Jews, the Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. I love this. This is, the, this is the crux of the gospel message right here. Jesus looked at her, basically said, forget what your forefathers said. I love it right here. Jesus said to her, woman, believe who? Not your daddy, not your grandpa, not your auntie and your uncle. Believe who? Believe me. Believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. For you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in what? In truth. The truth is in who? Jesus. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the truth is in who? It's in Jesus. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. So she just, she just is like trying to segue here and get away from this. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, the anointed one. When he comes, speaking, just forget about what you're saying. When he comes, he'll tell us, he'll tell us the truth. Ah, oh, this is so good. What did Jesus say? He said, the truth is in me. When he said this statement, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm truth. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is in who? Jesus. Amen. That's good. That's good. I love that. The truth is in Jesus. And that's the foundation of our becoming brand new. It's by our faith in him. 2 Corinthians 4, we've already, did we read that? No, we haven't read this one. We, we read the, the, the earlier part, but I just want to read it again. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, but ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the truth. What's the truth of the glory of God? If you don't know the truth of the glory of God, where's the truth found? In the face of Jesus Christ. The truth is in Jesus. We once, we were once futile in our thinking and our hearts were darkened by sin. But through faith in Jesus, we are made new creations. We are born again. Amen? Is that, is that your story here this morning? You were once futile in your thinking. Your foolish heart was darkened. And because of faith in Jesus Christ, you were made brand new. And then lastly, this last point, as you transition here, something changed now. Do you remember back, the beginning of this section, the beginning of this series, Spirit-Filled Life? We're talking about the Spirit-Filled Life, right? Don't, don't forget the context here. This is the Spirit-Filled Life, living controlled by the Spirit instead of the flesh. The pattern of our life used to be walking in ways that dishonored God, alienated from God. But because of faith in Jesus Christ, fourthly, our walk, our walk, our life is now marked by what? By righteousness and holiness. Our walk, our life is marked by righteousness and holiness. Let's go back to the text, the last two, three verses here. So, he says this, that we're called to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So where do you get true righteousness from? Where does that come from? You guys can talk to me. It comes from who? How how can you become righteous? Through Jesus. There's only one way to truly be righteous. And men have forever, since the creation of the world, tried to get true righteousness through the wrong means if they, go, if they go about it apart from Christ. They try it in many ways through sacraments and prayers, through church attendance, through believing what their forefathers believed but never really believing it in their heart. They try different means and ways, good works, to try to find true righteousness. But true righteousness is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so here's the pattern. This is what we're building here. We used to be this way, Futile and darkened, heart hardened, but because the truth is found in Jesus, by faith when we hear the gospel preach and we surrender to Christ, then the light bulbs go on. And we can see clearly our heart is changed. And and where do we get this true righteousness from? 
Second Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake, he, speaking of God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in a relationship with truth himself, with Christ, in him, we might become something. What do we become? That is so good. That is so good. If you're, if you're there trying to look for righteousness, trying to maintain righteousness, trying to be good enough, you are looking in the wrong place. There's only one way to become something that you're not, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what the beautiful picture of the gospel is, is that this righteousness, this true righteousness, is a foreign righteousness. It doesn't belong to me. Listen, it doesn't belong to me. By faith in Jesus God gives you a righteousness that you can't earn and that you can't work up and you don't deserve. It is the righteousness of Jesus. Listen, so here's what happens. Before you were unrighteous, weren't walking in your own strength, trying to be good enough, and you hear the gospel, the light comes on and you repent and you surrender by faith in Jesus, to faith in Jesus. And God the Father takes the perfect righteousness of his Son And he imputes it to you. And you become something that you could never be on your own. And when the father sees you, he doesn't see your past. doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see what you can't be or or struggle to be. He sees Jesus. He sees you clothed in the very righteousness of God. Some of you here this morning, you don't feel that. You know that's not you. You feel clothed in shame and guilt and depression and anxiety and worry and you're bound to, to, to sin and addiction. But you can be clothed with something different. You can be clothed with the very righteousness of God. Listen to this. So, so, so that's true righteousness. Track with me. We're almost done. In Christ, we find true righteousness. And then the, the, the next word is what? Holiness. True righteousness and holiness. Holiness is the way in which we live a holy life. The righteousness of God produces in us a desire to walk in holiness, the spirit-filled life. The righteousness of God that doesn't belong to us but is appropriated by faith, that righteousness that creates a new man in us develops a desire to be holy. So if you're here this morning and you say, well, I, I don't really have a desire to be holy. Well, you haven't appropriated by faith a belief in Jesus Christ yet. Because if you have a faith in Jesus Christ, you will have a desire to be holy. That's what the scripture says, true righteousness and holiness. Our inward man is transformed and now we live our lives striving to increasingly reflect on the outside the inward transformation of the gospel. I want to read that again. The righteousness of Christ produces in us a desire to walk in holiness. Our inward man is transformed. And now we live our lives striving, desiring to increasingly reflect on the outside the inward transformation of the gospel. True righteousness will produce holy living. And here's what it's like. Here's the spirit-filled life. Inward change, and this is the pattern as we saw in Ephesians 4. It's a, it's a taking off. It's like if I unzip my, my uh, Mr. Rogers jacket here this morning and I took it off right that's a that's a putting off this putting off and putting on as we see in Ephesians 4 
It's a putting, it's like changing clothes. So this is the Christian life. You're constantly changing your clothes. <laughs> That's the Christian life. It's, it's, it's coming up against temptation to sin. And you say, I'm taking that off. I'm not, I'm not going to clothe myself with that unrighteousness. Why? Because who I am in Christ tells me that's not what I should do. That's, that's, that's Ephesians. We're going all the way back to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. We are in Christ. And who I am in Christ, that's not, I shouldn't wear that. So I'm going to take that off, and I'm going to put on the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, this is the last section I want to read here this morning. I'm going to put on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, but I say, it's Apostle Paul again speaking, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the, the flesh, for these are opposed. You guys know that, right? That's what we, we've been talking about, the saying no and saying yes, no to the flesh, yes to the Spirit. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, you are not under, under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The things like these, I wonder what they are. Because like he named a bunch right there. Right? I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why will they not inherit the kingdom of God? Because they haven't been clothed yet correctly with the true righteousness of Jesus Christ. But people who do those things, they can go to heaven. They can go to heaven. They repent and get clothed correctly. And then they'll join the battle that all of us are in of saying no and saying yes. I've I've warned you before, those who practice the way of their life is unrighteous. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. We say no, but we say yes to this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Amen? Amen. Stand your feet with me. I want to read this one scripture and then I want to pray for some people here this morning as we're wrapping up here. There's some strong words from God, from his word here this morning. There's just some challenging things. So we're in the battle and it is a battle. It, it is. It is a battle. You guys know that. To say no to the flesh and say yes to God. But where's the hope found? It's found in God. It's found in his power. I want to read this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out. This is what we're talking about. Working out your salvation is saying no and saying yes. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the hope right here. For it is God who works in you, both to will, which is your desire, and to work, which is the power to obey. The desire is your will. It is God who works in you both to will, to have the desire and the power and the strength to work for his good pleasure. Amen? That's the hope. That's the hope. So I want you to close your eyes with me just for a moment. I know we, we always do this in church. That's how we end service, right? You got to close your eyes before we dismiss. But I want to ask some of you that, that, that I, I just want you to think. 
And I want your eyes closed so you just, you're not worried about your neighbor. You're worried about anybody else around you, what people may think. I want to ask this question. This is a very specific question. And so before I ask the question, I want you to, to know that all of us as believers, we face this. This question I'm about to ask you, there's no one here as a believer who has not been at this place at some point in their life or will be in this situation I'm about to, to, to describe here. So there's no shame. There's no, there's no embarrassment. This is just a reality. So here's my question. If you're a believer here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have appropriated by faith the finished work of the cross and you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but you have been losing some battles. You've been saying no more than you've been saying yes. And you've been struggling. And because of that, you are living with a guilty conscience. And you want to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus this morning. You want to lay down and say, Lord, I need your strength. As it says in Philippians 2, I need that strength to say no and to say yes to what is good, right, and true, and holy. If you've been struggling this morning and you want to lay it down, let let go of the guilt. Lay it before the Lord. If that's you, I want you to make your way down front and we want to pray together if there's anybody like that just make your way down front come on there's there's there, there are those of you here that, that are like that you are a believer but you are struggling you're struggling yeah come on it, it could be anything it could be anything what, what, whatever it is you're struggling and saying no and saying yes we want to pray for you this morning of us in this room or we'll be at the altar if if I gave this call next week there'd be some others that would need to come up right that's the Christian life and all we're doing is acknowledging Lord I need help by the power of your spirit to say no to the flesh and to say yes to the fruit of the spirit so we're going to pray I'm going to I'm going to believe that as a body of Christ we're going to support each other this morning and pray for our brothers and sisters so once you stretch your hands here and this is what we're going to do I'm going to pray for you we're going to pray for you and then we're going to sing this song right here after I'm done praying and and I want you to listen to me those I'm praying for I'm going to pray for you but then I want you to sing this song and let the words of this song remind you of what is true in Christ about your relationship with him once you close your eyes I'm going to pray for you Lord Jesus I pray for these men and women that are down here this morning I pray for myself pray for all of us here I pray that you would strengthen them, strengthen us, Lord, to say no to the flesh and to say yes to what is good and best. Help us, Lord, to resist temptation and to run to the cross. Help us, Lord, in those moments of weakness that we would cling to you, we cling to your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the devil. Lord, I pray for spiritual strength. And Lord, I also pray that those that are struggling with guilt and shame over sins of their past that have been forgiven, Lord, I pray that you would remind them this morning that they are new creations in Christ. That they place their faith in Christ, they are brand new. And that those chains of the past have no right to cling to them anymore. The power of the blood of Jesus has broken that curse. And that you are free in the name of Jesus. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.